Today's episode is a panel discussion from NVTC and EIG's Tech Mobility Leadership Panel. Contributors include Hiba Amber, Senior Managing Attorney for Ericsson Immigration Group, Kate McKinney, who sits on the Global Mobility Team for Riot Games, Jody Paparello, who is Senior Vice President for Worldwide Human Resources at MicroStrategy, and Diane Risch, Associate Director of Government Relations at the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Together, the panel shares how they're guiding their employees during a time of increased immigration enforcement, namely, discussing the government affairs policy positions and goals for tech industry leaders, as well as immigration compliance issues in the wake of increased scrutiny. Uh, we're really excited to be working with NVTC. We just started as members of halfway through last year. It's been a very positive experience. And I'd really like to thank Brent D'Agostino, who's here uh, from the HR and Benefits Committee. Thank you so much. Uh, as well as Chris Spiel from the International Committee from Deloitte. Uh, we're really happy to have both of you guys and for Colleen Hahn for helping out and getting everything set up. Uh, I'd like to welcome everyone uh, first by having everyone introduce themselves. Uh, let's start off with uh, Hibbo. So good afternoon, everyone. My name is Hibba Amber. I am one of the senior managing attorneys here at Ericsson Immigration Group. My area of uh, focus is primarily in the employer-sponsored green card uh, space. And we are very excited to be able to uh, share some tips and best practices on I-9 compliance, particularly in this very kind of um, volatile environment. And we really hope that this turns into an organic conversation. So feel free to interrupt me at any point if you have a question. And Diane Risch from ALA. Sure. Hi. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Diane Risch. I'm Associate Director of Government Relations at the American Immigration Lawyers Association, or ALA. If you're not familiar with ALA, we are a bar association of approximately 16,000 immigration attorney and law professors who practice in all aspects of immigration law, including family-based, employment-based, uh, helping uh, corporations, universities, nonprofits, uh, really to ensure that their workforce is, is lawful and properly in the United States. Next, we have Jody Pepperello from Hi. MicroStrategy. Thank you. So my name is Jody Pepperello. I'm the SVP of HR for MicroStrategy, um, a tech firm here in the D.C. area with about probably 2,600 employees, um, half in the U.S. and half spread around 25 countries outside the U.S. I oversee our immigration operations at MicroStrategy, so I thought I'd come and share some of our best practices that we use at MicroStrategy. And last but not least, we have Kate McKinney from Riot Games, who flew all the way out here from California. And landed last night. <laughs> Hi, all. Uh, yeah, I'm Kate McKinney from Riot. I've been with Riot since May. Before that, I spent five years with Microsoft uh, in Seattle uh, as a part of their legal team. At Riot, I sit on the global mobility team, where I run the U.S. immigration program. Riot has about 3,000 employees globally. About 1,800 of those are in the U.S. Uh, we have about 150 active foreign nationals. Um, Riot makes one game, League of Legends. Uh, we joke we should be called Riot Game instead of Riot Games, <laughs> though hopefully we'll change that sometime in the near future. Uh, and I'm excited to be here to talk about some of the issues that affect us across the country and also some of the differences you might have when you're practicing in other states. Thank you so much to all of you. We're so thankful to have everyone here. So basically what we want to talk about today is I-9 compliance and uh, some of the things that are going on in the country especially in the last couple of years uh, since the Trump administration took over. Uh, we wanted to talk about ICE, enforcement raids, uh, the government uh, is doing in terms of an audit perspective, 
And we also wanted to talk about how companies, especially in the tech sector, are dealing with some of the changes that we're seeing in immigration, both from a recruiting standpoint and from a compliance and legal standpoint. So I wanted to ask Hiba, what exactly is an I-9 and why is it required? So an I-9, I'm sure everyone is familiar at least with the fact that there is an I-9 form that exists. It's what we refer to as a deceptively simple form. Um, to put it simply, it's basically something that you have to fill out if you're an employer or an employee and it involves the presentation of documents that demonstrate and confirm that you have some source of work authorization. Um, it's, an, it's a form that has three parts, essentially. The first being um, uh, an obligation for the employee to fill out. The second portion being the uh, part that the employer then fills out after reviewing the documents that confirm employment authorization. And then the third being something uh, you fill out at the re-verification point, which essentially means that something on the documents that were presented is getting ready to expire, and you now have to reconfirm that this individual maintains continuous employment authorization. The I-9 form, the reason it's referred to as deceptively simple is because on its face it's very, very straightforward. But there are consequences if you are not maintaining proper compliance or if you're not doing your due diligence with respect to the documents that are being presented to you from the employee, um, if you're not filling out your required portions within certain time frames. Um, and those consequences can be in the form of, you know, civil penalties, which we'll get into a little bit more later. Um, but, you know, it has, there's a science behind it, right? You have a list of acceptable documents. Um, if you're not able to provide documents from, you know, one list, you have to be able to combine documents from to other lists and, you know, therein lies the struggle, right, for employers in confirming employment authorization by reviewing those documents. Uh, what are some other requirements other than ensuring that an employee has the right to work? I mean, what are some things that employers should be watching out for? So, you know, in a nutshell, you want to make sure that you are exercising due diligence in the documents that are being presented to you. You want to make sure that you are maintaining compliance in terms of the uh, proper methods of completing the form within the required timeframes. And then you also want to make sure that you are up to date in your retention practices uh, because there are potential consequences to an I-9 if it's not retained for the requisite period of time or if you're not going back and, you know, re-verifying once something is getting ready to expire. Um, you know, you as the employer face consequences if you have, you know, knowingly or unknowingly, you know, employed somebody that didn't have proper work authorization. Um, and then there's the flip side of it, right? You have the compliance aspect, you need to make sure that you're doing your part, but then you don't want to get into the opposite end of the spectrum where you're being so overzealous that your practices start to border some sort of discrimination there's a gray area, right? When it comes to certain I-9 issues, then employers run into trouble when it comes to their foreign national population, right? Um, if you hire a U.S. citizen who presents a U.S. passport, you're not running into like re-verification issues or anything like that. So um, you want to make sure that you have a plan in place that also keeps you away from the flip side, which is employment discrimination claims. So, Diane, what have you been seeing in the current administration? What is their stance on I-9s, and has it changed at all from the past? 
Sure, I definitely say that the Trump administration has prioritized immigration enforcement, and to that end, uh, we've seen an uptick in worksite uh, enforcement investigations, I-9 audits. I think if just looking at the data from fiscal year 2018, we saw a significant surge from the previous year. So just in fiscal year 2018 alone, um, HSI opened nearly 7,000 worksite investigations in comparison to just uh, 2,000 and less than 2,000 in fiscal year 2017. And similarly, um, I-9 audits surged. Uh, nearly 6,000 audits compared to uh, about 1,300 in fiscal year 2017. So that really shows that the administration is, is heavily focused, laser focused on uh, compliance on immigration enforcement. And I think this has really translated to a lot of the, uh, for ALA members, a lot of their clients are feeling kind of a heightened sense of uh, fear, uh, unease, and anxiety about potential audits, potential worksite visits, and I think we're hearing more from our members that uh, corporate clients are coming to them seeking out additional trainings. Um, they want to have make sure that their policies and procedures are in place uh, to mitigate any uh, potential for uh, compliance issues. Uh, are there some like, recent examples that you can highlight, you know, investigations that have become really well known? Sure, and I think, I, I know it's coming up on our slide here shortly, but I think uh, one of the kind of a uh, spotlight uh, case was the Ashland tree expert case. Uh, it turned out to be the largest civil settlement. Um, the company itself is a, is a tree clearing company, uh, and they uh, received a fine of $95 million, the largest one has ever been levied against uh, an employer. And really, the situation there was that they were found to have been hiring and rehiring employees who they knowingly knew were, were not documented. So uh, they essentially were... Um, uncovered and uh, resulted in a substantial fine. And how is AILA kind of dealing with this from a government affairs perspective? Have you guys made some new policy proposals? Sure, I'd say from a government affairs perspective, so AILA does have a liaison with uh, ICE, with Homeland Security Investigations, with IER. So we do meet regularly with uh, the agency. Surprisingly, they have been very, uh, we've been able to maintain a strong relationship with with that agency on, on these issues. Uh, we're able to sit down with them at least twice a year in most cases and kind of work through uh, what we what we learn from our members and from, from corporations like yourselves who bring them to the attention of our members, uh, challenges that you're seeing in the field, ways in which policies are not aligning with practice and helping to ask the agency to reconsider their policies more closely. So Kate, from a company perspective, from Riot Games perspective, do those kind of policy goals align with what you guys are doing and what you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that um, we are all just looking for the best way to retain and recruit top talent and make sure that we're doing that compliantly. I think Ayla's goals are really aligned with helping us to uh, have the strongest talent strategy that we can. Jody, how has recruitment changed for you guys over the last few years? One is, I think, with all of the heightened scrutiny around immigration, we're much more careful around job descriptions and making sure that people will get paid appropriately, that the salaries will meet the guidelines. So, and with all the RFEs that have come in lately, we're really careful about bringing people in. And and I just think making sure that we have the right firm to help us, because our employees get really nervous about like, well, what if I you know have to leave the country or whatever? They want to have somebody that they can go to to really talk to about what their needs are. So, so Hibbuck, what are some I-9 compliance tips that you can give to the, the members? So... You want to make sure that you have a established plan in place um, in terms of what to do in the event that you do have some sort of uh, a visit from an officer pursuant to an enforcement action. Um, 
you want to make sure that you um, designate an official who knows exactly where to seat that person. You want to make sure that that person is properly trained and has contact information for general counsel or the person that's going to be making decisions in terms of, say, for example, if a subpoena is served. Advanced preparation, right? So what you don't want is for something to happen in the form of either the service of a subpoena or a visit by an enforcement officer and everybody's kind of, you know, floundering and running around nervous and doesn't really know what to do, right? Because the officer is going to be watching very carefully and you don't want to give the impression that you're either trying to dodge you know, his or her visit or you're trying to hide something. Um, and you also don't want the individual, uh, whether it's the employee or you know, like a, kind of like that first tier uh, you know, security officer or at your front desk to get so overly complicit that all of a sudden it results in some form of word vomit and you know, you're giving away more than you necessarily need to in the circumstances. So, you know, prepare in advance, have a plan, know who the, the person at the front line is going to be, and then make sure that that person knows how to get in touch with counsel, um, and then make sure that you're connecting your internal general counsel with your immigration provider if the two are separate. You'd be surprised um, how many companies have that disconnect when you have in-house counsel, but then also a legal vendor that doesn't necessarily sit in-house. And I guess to that end, too, we just we make sure that our team is like they know the protocol, they know where to go, who to go to, and we retrain them all the time to make sure that they know how to what the what to do if somebody shows up. So, Diane, uh, what should employers expect uh, for the remainder of the Trump administration, and have your goals changed at all since the 2018 midterms? Yeah, uh, great question. So I think um, I think we'd anticipate to see a lot of what we've been seeing uh, since 2017, uh, heightened uh, scrutiny on immigration applications that Jody mentioned uh, through the agency USCIS, uh, increased worksite enforcement efforts, on-site visits from FDNS, where they'll go to the worksite of an employer that's petitioning for an immigrant uh, to work in the United States. Um, and so in terms of how AILA's policies have changed um, since the midterms, so in light of the fact that the Dems took control of the House, we have kind of repositioned our strategy to really focus on oversight in 2019 and really have hit the ground running with bringing attention to, uh, we're focusing on USCIS and bringing attention to crisis level backlogs that have uh, been growing in the agency um, over the past two years under the Trump administration in light of policies that have been adopted um, and calling for oversight efforts by, uh, by members of Congress. Um, this has also included litigation strategies uh, to really tackle and push back against uh, regulations or interpretations of the law that are ultra-various or outside of the bounds of, of adjudication. And recently successful litigation strategies based on what we're reading. Yes, yeah, so we've, um, we've, we've had some success. Uh, our members have su had success um, on individual cases, on bringing H-1B, particularly um, specialty occupation challenges to federal court and uh, getting those denials overturned. But then we'll also do larger sort of class action type cases. Uh, we were able to push back successfully on the international entrepreneur rule uh, in 2017 when the Trump administration tried to rescind the rule, um, giving the public about 10 days notice that they were about to rescind it. So those are ongoing efforts. Uh, we are going to be hyper-focused on the H-4 EAD regulation. That's the regulation that's proposing to, will likely propose to rescind H-4 work authorization. And we're also anticipating regulations possibly on H-1B specialty occupation and L-1 regulation in addition to 
regulations about uh, student student visas. So a lot of our clients, especially large tech firms, are going towards an automation model of, of compliance. So Kate, can you tell us a little bit about how technology is playing a role in, in compliance for you guys? Sure. So obviously tech enables, uh, it helps enable a lot of compliance for I-9. It can make your whole process of completing the I-9s more streamlined. It can make it easier to perform your own internal audits, reduces human error that you might have on paper forms. I think though sometimes there's an assumption that as a tech company, you must have it all figured out with the tech that enables your compliance. That is not, <laughs> not always true. Um, there's a, an old statement, the cobbler's children have no shoes, which basically means, you know, you might really know this, uh, this craft in this area, but that doesn't mean you're good at enforcing it in your own home. Riot's a good example of this, actually. We're a tech company. We make a computer game, but we were doing paper I-9s until last year. Um, this uh, introduces a lot of complications where once you've switched to a more automated system that enables doing tech uh, electronic I-9s, you still have to maintain those paper records, uh, whether you've converted them to an electronic uh, maintenance or whether you're still keeping them in paper form. Um, we had a lot of initial excitement with some of the team who was managing our conversion to Workday who said, oh great, we can just go enter all of these I-9s into Workday and have people redo them that's not something you can do you can't can't compel people to complete a new i9 if they're not required to do so for a re-verification um, and so there can be some some interesting complications in the tech space even as it also helps you to manage the space better so it's really important to navigate that change carefully so how, how have you kind of managed the change from Microsoft now to Riot Games. Has there been a difference in how they've operated? Yeah, Microsoft is just a much more mature company and also better at using tech in a lot of cases for internal processes. So Microsoft's been on electronic I-9s for a decade now, um, has very few paper records left over, has done a lot of digitization of paper records, whereas Riot is really still the Wild West in a lot of cases. Um, we're doing a lot of cleanup, we're doing a lot of our own internal audit Audits, which is always a best practice to go through, see if you can identify patterns where maybe in the summer of 2009 you had one person who was doing your I-9s and they made a lot of mistakes. You can go back and try and uh, try and get some of those corrected before the government comes knocking. Um, <laughs> and that's really the most important thing is to make sure you're doing your own due diligence. Jody, how about globally? You know, a company like MicroStrategy, I know you guys have offices in the UK and there's a lot of fear over Brexit and things like that. Do you see that kind of protectionism yeah. every day playing a role? Yeah, I think being a global company, there's definitely a lot of scrutiny as well globally with people. We have probably a thousand consultants overseas that are traveling from country to country and we need them to be able to go right away. Um, we may have a project for them to do in another country. And so sometimes it is tough to get people um, over and on a work permit quickly anymore. And, and so that's been a challenge for us. But also on the I-9 thing, I mean, we've been around for 30 years and we just five years ago went to an online system and it's been great. And now we can do audits, we can check on things. Um, so that's been really good too, I think, as far as being compliant on our I-9s. Obviously with tech companies, there's a tremendous amount of competition for talent. So how do you balance that need for retaining and get attracting that talent but keeping your recruiters in check, making sure that they're you know performing the necessary right to work checks and everything. So actually, I actually have one of my colleagues here today who used to be the head of recruiting at MicroStrategy, and so we will partner really closely with the recruiting team to make sure that they know the red flags that they should be aware of, that we know what's going on. 
and really just making sure that any talent coming in and anybody that we have today knows that we have a firm that really is looking out for their best interest to make sure that they don't get in trouble or they don't have to leave the country tomorrow. So I think that's really important to make sure you can retain talent. Mm I could just chime in there. I think it's really critical to build relationships with your recruiting team that aren't just transactional so that you know them, they know who you are before they have to come knocking and say, we have this candidate we're already in love with uh, who the hiring manager's already decided on. And then you have to be the person to say, oh no, they don't have any visa options. So making sure that the recruiters know you, they know the process, uh, you're checking in with them regularly, doing uh, regular retrainings because turnover in recruiting is often so high. Um, it's just really critical to build those relationships so you don't always have to be Dr. No. So a lot of NVTC member organizations are smaller companies are just getting started. Uh, what kind of advice can you give them for managing a growing foreign national population? This is for both of you guys. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a huge thing. I think it's important to both have a designated person who's your kind of primary go-to for immigration, but also to make sure they're not your single point of failure. So you need mm -hmm. to have a backup. Um, go out and start building those relationships across the company early and set standards of who do we sponsor for visas? What are the roles that are eligible for visa sponsorship? Uh, can you give hard criteria on um, whether you're publishing that that role is eligible or if it's not eligible or is that only an internal decision? Um, and then just really start to try to build a community for your foreign nationals. I think that there's a lot of help that foreign nationals can give each other in settling into the U.S. and in helping to deal with some of those higher anxieties around their status. Um, so if you can try to connect your foreign nationals to each other, I think that's a great, a great move. I swear I'm not doing an EIG pitch, but um, <laughs> it might feel that way. But we I won't think complain. That's, no, I think that's really important because people want to know that they have somebody to go to at any time when they have a question about what they need to do. And if they have somebody at MicroStrategy that can help them, um, always makes them feel better. And we, we encourage that not necessarily because we want you, you know, to reach out to us for self-serving reasons. It's actually in the company's best interest in certain instances to limit the questions asked so that they don't get into trouble for other reasons, whereas we can get into more nuanced conversations with the foreign national about immigration status or whatnot. So um, it's also kind of a way to insulate the client from getting bitten in the rear at a later point. Yeah, if I can chime in there. Microsoft has a really kind of odd model where even though they utilize for, um, outside counsel, they also have internal, a, a number of internal immigration attorneys and most conversations about overall immigration status are had with Microsoft employees. Um, and so there's this constant confusion where those attorneys have to say, um, I'm Microsoft's attorney, I'm not your personal attorney, which is always a little bit of an immigration issue where you have the dual representation um, question, but it becomes much harder to discuss, well, what would happen if I wanted to move to Amazon? What's the, what's going to happen to my H-1B? What about my green card? Because of course the Microsoft attorney, who is an employee of Microsoft, has to say, well, it, I don't want to encourage you to do that, right? I, I'm in this interesting space of having to give you advice that's very generic, very general, where I don't want to rely on your specific situation. So being able to utilize outside counsel and just let the employees have those open conversations with EIG is really excellent. So Diane, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about internally what people are doing at these companies. How about from an outreach perspective, from a lobbying perspective, what are you seeing Ayla doing in this sphere going forward? Sure, I think there's, I think for people that are 
interested in kind of what's happening on the Hill. I think uh, we've seen over the past year or two, recent past, uh, E-Verify legislation proposed, uh, looked at closely. So I think that's likely to become part of the debate in the year ahead, as it has been in the past. Um, oftentimes, E-Verify and worksite enforcement issues um, are of heightened focus on, on the Hill. Uh, we have seen those initiatives often tied to the H-2A agricultural program. So I would imagine if we see one move, uh, we would likely see the H-2A move as well in terms of uh, um, reforms to that visa program, which is for temporary agricultural workers. Jody, are you seeing a lot of collaboration with your counterparts at other technology firms? Is there an opportunity for or an organization like NVTC to help and kind of guide and shape this narrative? So I think definitely there's an opportunity to do that. Do, do I do that today? Probably not as much as we should be. But um, yeah, I definitely think that there's a struggle to get the supply of talent that we need to fill the jobs that we need in our company, at least, um, or just in all, in all of the technology firms in the area. And so I think just lobbying for being able to hire foreign nationals and get what we need and the support that we need would be really helpful. And just to add to that, too, I think there's a lot of need right now for the voice of employers, corporations on the Hill to explain the value of the visa programs that are available and why the reforms really are needed, why improvements are needed, why expansion of the visa availability, whether it's green cards or more H-1B visas. Um, in light of the fact, too, because of the recent election, um, we've had a lot of people who are new to Congress. So it's great to have those conversations, start talking to your representatives, if you haven't already, uh, about why uh, immigration is so important to your corporation, to your workforce needs. Um, and hopefully through that efforts, we can be making change. Okay. There's no more questions. And I just want to thank, first of all, the panelists. You guys were amazing. You know, thank you so much. If we could give everybody a round. Thank you so much for coming out. And thank you to the NVTC, uh, to everyone who made it out here today. There's plenty of food left if you haven't already had lunch or if you're still hungry. I don't know how, but. <laughs> and again, thank you so much. Thank you for listening into this event. Immigration Nerds will be back next week with civil rights lawyer Serene Shabaya as we discuss the wave she's making in D.C. fighting for Muslim rights. See you next week.